So over the past few weeks, uh, we've discussed several different aspects regarding of how we are to worship God. How God, what is what does God require of us in worship? And one of the, uh, as we've been going through it, we uh, the, the elementary teaching in the New Testament on worship is in John chapter four, where Jesus meets a woman at the well, and this woman, in her life was a worshiper she proclaimed to worship god however her life didn't meet up with the truth of scripture and the, and the light was was shining on her at that moment when she was talking with jesus and, and it revealed a hunger deep within her a hunger that could only be met by the true worship of god she was trying to meet it in several different areas of her life she had had you know, four husbands, five husbands, and, and culturally we're, we're used to uh, meeting needs that only God can meet through our own means. And whether we know it or not, we're all created to worship. I think he, he, no matter where you go on, on the wor- in the world, we're worshiping something, whether you're an atheist or whether you are a, a devout uh, religious person, you are, are worshiping. It's a matter of choice. That is what we do. We are created. We are programmed by a creator to be devoted to something. And obviously sin has entered the world and our motives are fallen sometimes. And mostly, well, they're fatally flawed, actually. And uh, we end up worshiping all the, this wonderful stuff except for uh, what we've been created to do, which is to worship God. And how we worship God, obviously, is is a matter of controversy. And so when we talk about the worship of God, we go to Scripture. What does it say? And when in John chapter 4, Jesus was teaching, and he taught that a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, verse 24, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I don't like those words, must. Do you? You know, a time is coming and now it's come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, God is actively seeking worshipers. He, right now he's seeking worshipers. And the only kind that will be permitted are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. And we spoke about this a couple weeks ago. And, and this means two things. Worshiping in spirit means connecting with God through the heart, through our spirit. It's, it's genuine and it's our heart towards God. But is it enough just to be genuine in our worship towards God? If it was, then there wouldn't be a problem with all the various aspects of worship on this planet, would there? No. And this is the conversation that Jesus was having with this woman at the well who was a Samaritan and who worshipped God differently in a different place. He's saying it's not just good enough to have your heart towards God. It has to be also according to truth. These are tough teachings that Jesus had. Worshipping from our hearts towards God is not enough. We can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And what is truth? Thy word is truth, Jesus said. That's where we find what truth is, is in the scriptures. How does that feel culturally? 
dogmatic, narrow-minded? Anybody? What does the world say about, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, your word is truth. This isn't an American truth. This isn't a you know, Middle Eastern truth. This is God's truth. The kingdom of God is true. And the Bible itself is amazing. If No other book is like it. 40 different authors, over 40 different authors, over 3,000 years on three different continents and three different languages all saying the same thing. You try to go, go, go pull 40, you know, uh, 66 books off the shelf in there and try to get, find a common theme in all of them you know, in, in your library. It's amazing. It's outside of this world God is speaking to us. And as we look at being a true worshiper, God says, you must also worship according to truth. And this is the, this is the teaching that Jesus gave as the foundation. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? And so then we compared two characters in the Bible. Uh, King Saul and Abraham. Remember those, guys? King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Abraham, Genesis 22. One of the, or, one of the important aspects of worship is obedience. How do we worship in truth? Well, we listen to it and we, we apply it to our lives and we follow it correctly. And, and this is obedience, and this is important. We saw that Saul, King Saul, he desired to worship God, but when it came time to obey the word of the Lord, when God told him to go annihilate the Malachites, Saul did not obey completely, but he withheld the best for himself and those men around him that he feared. His motive was that he feared man more than God. He had selective obedience because God was not truly God in his life. It was the Lord your God he would say. It's selective obedience. Anytime anyone God asks us to do something, oh, I love you, I worship you, I sing your songs, God. Okay, now I want you to go. Okay, well, I'll do most of that. Seems pretty good to me. Anyone? Just me. Okay. But we do live in an age of convenience, don't we? I mean, it's all about convenience. I mean, that's that's. I'm from Southern California, right? I mean, I came up here, and I'm like, wow, you have to drive an hour to go to Costco? I could throw a rock and hit a Costco. You know I mean? Convenience, you know? We live in a society of convenience, and this is this can be good and bad. But this also, it this culture, it it, it pulls over into how we worship. It, it flows over into how we worship. The, the, the things we offer to God, what do we offer to God? As our act of worship, we, we offer obviously money, Time, possessions. Think of these things of how we worship. Does convenience play a factor in those? Does like King Saul scenario pop into our lives? I'll give you this, but I gotta withhold this for me, God. Thank you. I'm gonna withhold this. I'm gonna because and it's the fear. The fear of what? The fear of not having, the fear of what others might see, the fear of making other people upset. And God wants us to be a people who absolutely, uh, who fear Him the most. That's hard, isn't it, in this culture? To fear Him the most. That doesn't mean we're going to give all that we have. It's a heart issue, right? It's a heart issue. So we go against those things. You know, do we keep the best for ourselves and why? 
Why is that? When, we, when God asks us to obey, what keeps us from obeying completely? You know, what keeps us from doing the King Saul scenario? Then in Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 22 was asked, you know, comparing and contrasting these two, to, to sacrifice his only son, who he loved as a burnt offering on a mountain that God would show him. What? Why is this in Scripture? God, you can't do that. God is working out a bigger plan, obviously. We see the whole the whole gamut of Scripture. But to Abraham, he's going, oh, <laughs> this is the kid you promised that, would, that all the nations would be blessed. You're asking me to take this one and only son and go sacrifice him as a burnt offering in a place that I don't know about yet. And so Abraham got up early the next morning, and he chopped his wood, and he set out on a three-day journey. And we see that you know worship cannot be delegated to someone else. It's something you have to be hands-on. He chopped his own wood. Something you can't have other people do on your behalf. This is something only you can offer to God. And when it came time to sacrifice his son, he didn't withhold. Obviously, he, God withheld him from doing it. But like Saul, unlike Saul, he, he feared the Lord. He feared the Lord. And Hebrews said that the reason why he was committed to doing the will of God, which did not make sense in his mind and in his, in his heart, was that even though it didn't make sense, Abraham trusted in God's promise that through Isaac, all the nations would be blessed. So he's asked to go and sacrifice his son. He's obeying. But in his heart, he's going, this is a difficult situation, but God has to make good on his promise that through this kid all the nations will be blessed so if I go through with this God will just have to raise him again God will have to bring it he'll have to take it out and that is the aspect that's the picture God was drawing there was the sacrifice of his son the resurrection that's a different day a different story but the obedience the follow-through on God's word, difficult to do in hard circumstances, but he gave his best. He was actively involved. It was immediate obedience. The things we desire from our children. <laughs> right? God desires from us. Why? Because it reflects the heart. I want your heart. I want you to give it your all. Be committed if you're going to do it. Abraham reasoned that God would just have to raise him from the dead. And, and Abraham worshipped in spirit and in truth. You see how he did it according to God's word, what, he, what God said. It wasn't necessarily always an emotional thing. It was based upon what he said. And that is how we worship as Christians. We worship, yes, with our hearts and hands and all these things that go on, but it has to be according to truth. That's what needs to be pumping in our lives because God says, hey, obedience is better than sacrifice. Wow. But God, I thought if I just do this for you, then you'll be happy. That's great. I love that part that you're willing to do that, but I want your heart. You know, I want the, I want the actions. And so, in spirit and in truth. In truth because... Abraham did according to the word of the Lord. He trusted the word of the Lord. And his worship of God was reflected by his, his obedience. 
while Saul's worship of self, a man, was reflected in his disobedience. And we all struggle with that, right? We all struggle with it. I, I struggle with it. And so worshiping God is not on our terms. True worship is on his terms, and we must worship in spirit and truth. Our hearts, you know, with our hearts, which is faith in his word, and our actions, which is actually living that word out in our lives. And so this life of faith, this is the life of faith and obedience that God wants us to have. It's worship. And now I want to ask the question, why? Why? worship this way? Why live out a life of worship towards God? Why? Because that is the question of, of the day for, for all of us, for me. You can tell me what to do all day long, but why? You have to have something going on with our will, our hearts. What's the motivation to do any of this? And I'm sure I could ask, and there would be several different answers and responses of how God's touched your life and what's going on. But let's go to let's go to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 for today. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. <clears throat> it says Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual, spiritual act of worship. So, it's very subtle in there. Did you get why? Anybody? view of God's mercy. <laughs> I urge you, in view of God's mer mercy, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, what does that look like? What does that mean? I've shared this with you before, Genesis chapter 1. Let's flip over to Genesis chapter 1. And this is the kind of stuff we'll get through in that supplemental stuff that I'm talking about. Let me go through Genesis shared this with some of you individually and some of you uh, I think maybe in the men's group so if you have the answer don't call it. Genesis chapter 1 and I ask everybody what's it about and they all say creation and that's kind of what everybody says and I go and I would tell the class hey class go through and circle everything that's in Genesis chapter 1 go, circle a word that's repeated a lot in Genesis chapter 1 well actually I'd tell them first go circle created made form all that stuff. And they go through and they circle once like 10 or 13 times. And I'd say, is there another word in there that's repeated a bunch of times? And then you'd see a word, you know, called, it's just G-O-D. It's very common there. God, 33 times in Genesis chapter 1. So I ask again, what is Genesis chapter 1 about? And we all say, it's about God. And what about God? And then we start going, okay, so this is stuff that's kind of fun. In the beginning, God said. So God speaks. And we'll just take this one example. It's so deep and so rich, your mind will be blown. God said. What did he say? Let there be. What does it say in verse 3? And God said, let there be light, right? 
What does it say in verse 6? And God said, let there be. What does it say in verse 9? God said, what does it say in verse 14? And God said, what does it say in verse 20, verse 24? And what happens when God speaks? And it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. So we learn something about God. When he speaks, it happens. Pretty cool stuff. So that's one of the reasons why when we're going through these interesting gospel stories and Jesus says, hey, come out of him. Or be quiet. Or, you know, hey, you're healed. It happened because he said it. He is the word. Amen? Application. God could say to us, depart from me. Wicked sinner and everlasting darkness, go. And it would happen. But he has said, your sins are forgiven. And it is it's so. What is our response to that? In light of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see? Mercy. God is so good to us. And, and it's so deep, so rich. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's mercy. What kind of mercy? Are we talking about in, in, in context of, of Romans, which Paul is just going through? I mean, he goes through a lot of stuff. It's justification. You were justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's cool stuff. When I've been, you know, I've been a mess up, right? And I've sinned. Well, you've been justified. Justified means you've never, that's mercy. You've never sinned. Just as if you never said. That's how God looks at you. How can that be? I do not know, but it is definitely merciful. Amen? <laughs> in light of this, that's one of the things he's talking about. You're adopted in Jesus and identified with Christ. You are now no longer a child of darkness. You are adopted. You're a child of the light. Your father is the king of kings and the lord of lords. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Those are great mercies that have been put upon us. Amen? Any of you have adopted a child from a foreign land, that is a merciful situation. Amen? The, the, the blessings that that person receives, you know, that, that you went and you chose them and you grabbed them out and, and they were blessed. God has done that for us. I love that. We're set under grace and not the law. Anyone? Yes. Thank you that I'm not under the law. Oh, Lord. I would be toast if I was judged according to the law. I want to be in grace. The gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's given us His Spirit. Each of you has been given. God dwells in you. That is merciful. Not only am I going to save you from being a rebel and totally against me, I'm actually going to give you my kingdom and, and fill you, make me my son, put my coat on you. Those are great things. Merciful. Help in all affliction. Anybody need help in affliction? That is merciful. 
standing in God's election. You're part of the kingdom. You're part of the chosen. I love this. The certainty of the coming glory. We're certain that he's going to come back and get us. He promised. And we're going to be with him. Love that. That is merciful. The confidence of no separation from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Oh, how he loves you. I love that song. He loves you. It's awesome. God's mercy on us. Total confidence in God's continued faithfulness. He will be faithful. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you. In light of God's mercies, what's our response? This is what Paul is talking about. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, offering, we're going to talk about living sacrifice in a second, but offering has to do with what? Our will. It's a choice, right? We live a life of true or false worship. We choose. And this is why Paul's urging or beseeching them in some of your translations. We're in daily, we're in a daily war for our wills. What will we do? There's a poll. Anybody have that poll going on? Yeah, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How do I make these decisions? Boy, those are all acts of worship, believe it or not. We're in a daily war. Everything we do comes down to a decision of worship. Is it a, ma- is it a matter of you know, God's kingdom or man's kingdom? Is it my thing that wants to go on? I mean, it's, it's all about him. It's a matter of the will. To offer ourselves means it's a choice. To be a living sacrifice. Two things about a living sacrifice. Interesting. For the certain for the first century Jew and pagans for that matter, the idea of a living sacrifice, it was striking because the sacrifice they came alive to the altar. They bring the sheep or the goat or the bull or the dove in the Jewish situation to the to the altar. But a living sacrifice, it stayed there. And it didn't stay there, it would die. But our picture is We're brought to the altar, we're put on the altar, we're tied down, and we stay alive. We don't kick free and go, okay, that was fun. We're continually offering ourselves to the Lord. We're in that fellowship with Jesus Christ. We're identified. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Amen? That's the life, the life of the Spirit that he wants to have with us. This is why Paul talks about, he says, this is why Paul said, I die daily. Now, Paul didn't physically drop dead every day. He's not literally like that. He meant that he was dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is a daily choice, a daily offering, a choice to be alive for Christ. Dead to sin. Jesus in Luke 9, 23 said, uh, in 23 and 24 said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The living sacrifice dies daily. And so and this is this type of sacrifice, a living sacrifice that Paul was urging his brothers and sisters to be, it connects with God in a big way. God takes notice of it. It's important to him. If it's important to him, it should be important to us, right? And what is this? When we do this, it says that we are holy and pleasing to God. Holy means set apart, not Swiss cheese, right? 
we're, we're holy. We're set apart. That offering isn't for anybody else. It's for him. When we say I'm a living sacrifice, I am for you, God. I'm devoted towards you. I'm set apart. I'm not for any other purpose except for your will. And that seems very, you know, narrow in, in our mind, but we don't realize that when we're set apart for God, God turns it around and uses us in the world and uses us in relationships and all these other things, right? We're not meant to go out and be by ourselves. We're meant to interact with the world. But that's the path, the narrow path, the cross, that sacrifice, that choice. God sees it and he says, you're holy, you're set apart, we're his. And acceptable, it means pleasing. And this had the idea of the free will offering in the Old Testament that we talked about. Remember that the Jews, they could offer a free will offering. It wasn't demanded of them, but it was there if they wanted to offer uh, you know, they knew their sinfulness. They just wanted to offer an offering to God. And there were three different types, the three different categories. The first for those who had a little bit more would be the bull. That's, you know, they'd be able to offer a bull. Very expensive, you know, but if you had a lot, you're able to do that. Next was the sheep and the goats. And the last was, was a dove, you know, for those who hardly had anything. But it said regarding the acceptable sacrifice, it had to be, if it was a, a bull or a sheep or a goat, it had to be a male a young male had to be of firstborn. It had to be, um, <clears throat> it had to be, uh, you know, unblemished. There had to, you weren't going to give him one with three legs, right? You weren't giving the one that you didn't want to have. You were giving him the best. And so, the picture is, you are the bull. I mean, obviously Christ is the bull, but just as Christ was sacrificed on the cross, so we follow in His footsteps. And when we offer ourselves daily to him, we put our best in the plate. We put our best foot forward. We're his. I'm not going to offer him my second best, right? That's me. I'm giving you all of me, Lord. God desires the best. He desires us. We can respond to his mercy upon us through Christ by being a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. This is, this is, I like what King said, King J, uh, New King James says, it says, uh, which is your reasonable service? It's your reasonable service. I mean, this is, this is entry-level Christianity. This is our response to the mercy of God. So we, we, I don't know if about you, but I'm going, that's entry-level Christianity. Lord, help me. Please, make me more like Jesus. I need your grace. I need your encouragement and your power today to change, to die to self. Paul's saying, God's mercy demonstrated in Christ Jesus demands this response at a minimum. It's reasonable. And so the question this morning, as we pretty much close, is to ask ourselves, am I a living sacrifice? Do I live a life that is daily offering myself to God? Do I do that daily? Is it a conscious decision on my part? Do I live a life that is holy? Am I set apart for Him? Do I live a life that is pleasing to Him? Do I live a life of worship? If so, you are experiencing incredible joy and purpose and meaning. 
You are experiencing God's hand upon your life. You're experiencing opening Him opening doors, leading you into people's paths. God's blessings upon you. You're His disciple. That's awesome. And, you know, I struggle. Anybody? But just because we struggle doesn't mean we're not called to it. And it's not our strength. It's Christ in us, surrendering. You know, sometimes we, we rely upon our brute force and our strength and our talents and all these types of things. And God says, yeah, that's great. I made you and everything. However, I just want you to surrender so that I can be strong in you. Surrender. Offer yourself to me today. Hop up on that altar and let me do wonders in and through you again. This is where he wants you to be, you know? And if you aren't, you know, I challenge us this morning, myself included, uh, to have a heart-to-heart conversation with the Lord. Just to talk with him again. Say, Lord, I've hopped off the altar. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping according to what I feel is best, not what you desire out of me. Lord, just take me again. Just take over again. Possess me. You know, uh, just commit to following Jesus wholeheartedly this morning. It's what you were created for. You will find your purpose in it. And if you're wondering, where do I start? Where do I begin? Just read the next few verses. I'll just read it in context. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good and pleasing perfect. Part of the reason that we cannot find our, we, we can find ourselves stuck is because we're operating by what we've always known, the pattern of this world. It's just so, it saturates us. And God desires that the pattern of our lives change from the blueprint of this world to the blueprint of the Father. We've been, it says, don't, do not be conformed, but be transformed. The only thing we're going to be conformed to, Romans says, is conform, conform to the image of Christ Jesus. That's what he wants us to be conformed to. But you're to be transformed. That word transform is metamorphosed in Greek. We all know that means metamorphosis. He wants you to stop slugging around and be learn to fly, right? He wants you to, to know who you are in him, and sometimes we're trying to live this life as slugs, and we're like, hey, you know, you're, you're a butterfly. Get up there, stop going. You know what I mean? Get going. I've got great things for you. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that happen? Washing your mind with the Word of God. Washing our minds with the Word of God. Transforming what we think into what He thinks. And I see that pattern happening with fathers and sons, with mothers and daughters every single day. We hang around. You know, John, he follows me around. And unfortunately, the bad things rub off as, good, as well as the good things. But the idea is that as parents, he's to see the world through my eyes for a season, right? 
when we come into circumstances, he's to see it how I see it. I'm to influence him in that way. And ultimately, as a human being on this earth, I'm to hopefully be seeing the world through his eyes. Amen? But that is the same relationship we have with our Father, except for it's not we're not going to go off into individualism and be our own person. We are in him eternally. And the Father, when we come into circumstances, we ask him, what is this about? How am I supposed to see this? What's the answer? When I view politics, when I view... Uh, you know, re- physical relations and, and all these different things that are going on in the world. How do I view it? By what the culture says or the pattern of this world or through the Word of God, through what our Father, how He sees it. Because we're no longer a part of this kingdom. We've been transferred into a new kingdom. We're, tr- we're sojourners here. We're, we're, we're immigrants. We're, we're not here permanently. This is not our home. We're not of this world. Jesus said, this is not my home. This is not my... You know, my kingdom is not here, although, you know, there are terms that says the kingdom has now come. We can get into that later. But he's just saying, I am not of this world. Our values are no longer of this world. That's why when Jesus says, in order for you to have life, you must lose it. What is that? This world says, if you want life, go grab it. Jesus says, hey, if you, if you want to be the greatest you must be the servant of all. What kingdom is that? That is not this world. It's an upside-down kingdom, and you are born into it. And the reason why some of us are struggling is because we don't realize we've been born into a new kingdom. And we we're playing by a different set of rules now. And so let God open our eyes to the rules. Like I say, the rules, the way. The truth and the life. So that we could live out the rest of our day with fire and just influence people for his kingdom because if we're living for our kingdom we're slugs amen I want to fly you know be one of those crazy butterflies with blue wings you know just go for it so that's worship living for him so choose to worship him in spirit and truth choose to become a living sacrifice Choose to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. He'll show you what you're supposed to be here for. What your purpose is. Your purpose is to worship. So let's pray. God, we, we know that your will for us is so good. It does not mean we will not go through pain and struggling and all these types of things because your son went through those and we will be identified with him. But Lord, there's hope and there's joy. Teach us to worship all over again. Teach us to put our eyes on the prize. Help us to see worship through your eyes. And that worship wouldn't just be be a, a, a goal, Lord. It would be honoring you and pleasing you and it would just be a byproduct and it would be expressed in in so many ways through this room because you've created us each individuals and, and I can't chop wood for someone else I can only chop wood for me I can only offer what I have that's best not someone else's and that might look differently from person to person it will look differently and so I pray that your spirit would encourage us today to deny and to follow just as your son did. I pray that we we 
evaluate things in this world according to your word, not according to our culture or what we think. Help us, Lord, as we're growing and learning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, let's all stand. <clears throat> Anybody you familiar with J.B. Phillips, the, the Phillips version of the Bible? Let me just read his version of this, these first two verses in Romans as we leave. Ready? This is the same, uh, same as we just read. So, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you out into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good and meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. <laughs> Rich stuff. I love that. May God bless you this week as you worship in spirit and in truth. Have a good one.